Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. My name is Erin O'Brien and I'm the Beef Industry Development Officer at the West Midlands Group. In this episode, our previous communications officer, Kira Holly, and I caught up with Murray Gray, Yathru producer and West Midlands Group chair, to discuss how feed budgeting has improved his productivity whilst also minimising his impact on the land. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast. This conversation was recorded in May 2021. Just a heads up, there's some loud bird noises in the background for the first seven minutes, but they do get quieter after that. Hi, Murray. G'day, Kira. G'day, Erin. Thanks for having me. Just to get us started, Murray, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, we're my fourth generation uh, pastoralist and, and I guess now farmer. We've got a station in the West Pilbara called Glen Flory, and I've got two farms down here and I also share farm with my father-in-law alongside us here in the West Midlands. What do you guys do here, and I'm probably going to get the pronunciation wrong, at Taral Corral? Is that how you say it? Taral Carroll. Taral Carroll. The farms were initially bought as sort of a drought mitigation strategy for the station. Back in 2004, we bought first property Merajita, and then in 2017, we expanded to Taral Carroll. So we, for the most part, use it for backgrounding, fattening, carving down, or finishing cattle for the domestic and the live export markets. And we also run a small bull breeding herd for stock for the station. Yeah, our focus really down here now is on pasture production and developing that. So speaking of pastures, how do you manage your stocking rates in conjunction with Glen Flory and the available feed here on farm? Yeah, it's uh, it's a balancing act for sure. One we've probably struggled with a few times, particularly as the station's been through some pretty hard uh, dry seasons, particularly of late. The seasons don't always line up, unfortunately, so this is often the case when it's dry up north, it's also quite dry down here or quite late. So we've learned that it's really important that both properties measure and and manage their stocking rates independently, work together wherever we can, but it's really important that the focus is kept by each property on, on their feed availability and that they manage their stocking rate to carrying capacity accordingly. So is that not relying too much on this property to take things up on the station? Um, Yeah, so we fell into that trap quite badly in 2019, prior to that in 2010 as well. It's easy to do, it's an easy relief trigger to pull, oh, we'll just get them on the truck, get them down to the farm, and certainly as a distribution centre, the farm's really good, it's close to markets, there's a lot more options from down here. However, the farm can't be sacrificed for the station, and and we've seen some, unfortunately, some degradation that's occurred due to those sort of events, so we're committed now to making sure that we, we don't do that again. The farm has to look after the farm first. You can understand buying a property as a backup option for the station, how you would easily fall into that trap. Yeah, absolutely. The station runs a lot of cattle, and so we do what we can to take as many as we can justify and afford to, but it can't be all of them. So last year a pasture workshop was held here at your place, and the attendees got to look at your pasture charts. Could you tell us a bit more about what a pasture chart is and how they work? Yeah, sure. So we use a grazing chart for all properties. The station's got one and I've got one for our two properties here plus the share farming properties that I run in conjunction with my father-in-law. Essentially, it keeps track of where the stock are on the farm at any given time, which paddocks they're in, how long they're in there for, and then how long they're out of there and what the rest period of that paddock is. 
so they can be used both as a planning tool and then following that up with actual data. They also then keep an inventory of the stock that you've got on hand at the time, know the weights of those stock, what their weights are for that month, which then gives you a timeline of what their performance is. It also then will show you sort of what it's broken down into classes and then through those classes you can also get a an average, we call like a stock rating for them. So in cattle we use LSU, which is large stock unit. Sheep use DSE, which is dry sheep equivalent. One LSU is equal to roughly seven DSE. So one LSU equals a 450 kilo steer at maintenance, or dry cow, roughly similar. And then you up or down from there as to how big those stock are. So it keeps an inventory of those stock for you. Can keep a record of the rain received. But then what it also has is rolling 12-month rainfall. So you're keeping track of your monthly rainfall and a rolling 12-month total as well. It keeps a tally of the total grazing days in LSU format, a rolling 12-month average of that, and then also a rolling 12-month average stocking rate, which for us is LSUs per hectare per 100 mil of rainfall. So in a dry season, we know that we can't, can't run as many stock. We won't have the pasture production. In wetter years, we can run more. As you'd expect, there'd be better pasture production, and it keeps track of that and helps you keep maintain that stocking rate to carrying capacity balance. How big are these charts? Because that's a lot of information. It is a lot of information. Is it, like you've got some stuff on your wall. Is yeah. it that A3 piece of paper? Or that's do right. you have... You don't have a digital version that also stores that? There are digital versions, but they, they hold the exact same That's piece crazy. of data. So each one of these will hold all of that data as required. There's a couple of calculations that go into it, but it, they're fairly straightforward calculations, and I find them to be a really, really excellent forecasting tool. They're good for forecasting in terms of season predictability, but also then tallying your actuals, where are you? Are you understocked? Are you overstocked? Are you riding for a fall through winter especially and into spring? Feed's coming on. This is fantastic. Cattle fat. As the last couple of years have shown us, if you don't get those September rains, all of a sudden you maintain a high stocking rate right into December. By February, you may have nothing left. And so these really give a, a good indication uh, year on year of how that's tracking and you can refer back. What year did you start using them then? 2015, I started using them properly. I initially started using them in 2012 at the station, although because the station, we didn't have the paddocks at that stage really fenced up to be able to use it with as much accuracy as we could. Whereas now we've got to that stage, and so Tisha, my sister who manages the station, she's now able to utilise these as well to get this sort of data record. But at the farms here, I've been using them since 2015. I think that's one of the things we tend to probably lose sight of a bit, that the 12-month rolling rainfall total becomes really, really relevant. Well, 2019, we had a really wet winter, a heap of rain, but in a really short window, 10 weeks, and it was all done and dusted. And so the rolling 12-month rainfall come 2020 really reflected that strongly where we sort of went, it went, look, we did have a heap of rains. In June 2019, we had 139 mil. June 2020, we, we had 60 mil. It was a really good 60 mil. However, it wasn't that, and so all of a sudden, our rolling 12-month rainfall dropped back under 400 mils again because that's an accurate reflection of what the year had been. And so I actually find that 12-month rolling a much more useful figure for working out pasture production than just going on either a GSR or monthly rainfall data. For pasture production, particularly using perennial pastures and and sort of a year-round pasture production system, it's a hell of a lot more valuable. 
Can you also use the charts to kind of look at each paddock and how that's performing? Which paddocks you need to then focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So up here on the end of each chart, so each chart's are broken down. Each paddock is listed, got its size in hectares. And then at the other end, you measure how many days of grazing. I don't tend to necessarily just measure it in sort of say, well, you know, they were in there for a total of 40 days over the year, which, you know, is still useful data, but more useful is how many cattle were in that mob that were in that paddock for those 40 days. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I'll put 100 cows in a mob in a paddock for 40 days, or I could have 300 cows in a mob in a paddock for, for 40 days across the year. So... By being able to actually measure the what we call what we use the, the stock days of that paddock. So each cow that was in that mob was worth 1.2 LSU because they were they had a calf on them. Mm. So you know, 300 cows, it's 360 LSU per day for 40 days. That's quite a, a large number of, of stock days for a paddock production. Yeah. What I do because we regularly take weights. Of the stock through the year, that tends to be between sort of six to ten weeks. We'll be taking weights depending on the stock class. I can then actually bring back that weight data per paddock. You can either average the whole lot across, or or I try and do it more more specifically to the paddock, particularly when we're developing pastures and uh, and investing money in, in the development of those paddocks. So, what was that return then per hectare for that paddock? For example, last year we sowed winter pasture into paddocks that didn't they didn't have a summer pasture base, so it was it was just a, an annual pasture base. Otherwise, we sowed a, a mix of sort of some cereals and cerebella and clovers and the like in, and found that we tripled the production of that paddock as opposed to the paddocks that we didn't. So it, it cost me a hundred dollars a hectare to sow those paddocks and and, and manage that pasture. However, those paddocks returned $300 per hectare, whereas the paddocks that we didn't do anything much to uh, had $100 a yeah. hectare return. So That's simple maths. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah it, it is. But, and it, it's really, really valuable for, okay, well, do I develop this for pasture, for livestock, or am I better off maybe putting a crop in? Sort of, uh, we're on really marginal sand. However, I've sort of got cattle that are doing roughly the equivalent of a ton, ton and a half barley crop with half the inputs, if that. And so, you know, I can, I can do a direct comparison per hectare of what the value of that enterprise is to yeah. my business. Yeah. Shakes a lot of the questioning out of it. It does, yeah. Well, look, at the end of the day, the hard numbers are there if we care to record them. So I guess, it, you know, yeah, it requires a bit of recording. It requires a bit of sitting down and working a few things out. But the systems are developing more and more now where where that sort of stuff is easy to do in paddock and record in paddock uh, as necessary, you know, and so so the data's there if we want to go after it. it and record it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So then how strictly do you stick to your plan? If you're tracking all of that data and you're seeing paddocks respond differently, if they don't respond the way that you had anticipated, do you change how long the cattle are in there or what you were initially going to do with that paddock? How flexible are you? Absolutely. Ultimately flexible where possible, yeah. So the plans are really important. They're, they're the goals to achieving you know, our, our main vision. However, 
they must remain flexible, especially especially in something as variable as pasture production or, or you know grass growth, livestock growth. Mm. Things are always changing. You you'll get frosts. You'll get you might have sort of insects come in. You might just get a cold snap that sets. It may not frost, but it sets pasture back. Graze. Something happens, and you can't shift the mob of cattle in the right you know, in the time that you had allotted. All these things are change, and so we have to remain flexible. There needs to be enough slack in the system to be able to to move with you uh, as you need to. One of the biggest traps that we've discovered, and, and you know, I've got fair warning on it, I've done a couple of grazing courses, and, and one of the things I really kind of make sure that you understand is that if you continue to try and follow like a, a set program with rotation or a set sort of fixed time rotation, if you follow fixed time, chances are that you'll run your grass inventory into the ground you'll just end up overgrazing quickly if you don't remain flexible enough with your either your, your herd size so your, your stocking rate to be able to match that carrying capacity if that comes off you start this sort of spiral where suddenly you're getting back to paddocks quicker and quicker mm. instead of giving them the three months say that they need to recover mm. they're only getting two months and then next time around you're there in a month and all of a sudden there's there's no grass left. You've got to be really careful of this spiralling effect. And so I try and we try and keep two months worth of feed in front of each mob times. And so I know there's an endpoint. So particularly where we're backgrounding or adjusting cattle, I'll tend to ensure that everyone's aware that there will there'll be an endpoint and that that may move a little bit. But for the most part, I'll know that within a you know within sort of two to three weeks of where that endpoint will be. So you know full well that those animals will only go that far and then they leave the property and all of a sudden you've reduced your your stocking rate considerably to give us that flexibility but also just keeping paddocks sort of up our sleeve a little bit so at the end of the day if a paddock only gets grazed once in a year that's not necessarily a bad thing in fact if a paddock doesn't get grazed at all in a year it may not be a bad thing particularly if it needs the recovery time so yeah keeping some slack in the system is and you don't know what kind of year you're going to get next year no, absolutely right. Well, you don't, you know, in a lot of ways, you don't necessarily know what sort of year you're going to get this year. I mean, yeah. at the start, this year has been excellent, some great early rains. We've had a, just had a fantastic summer for perennial, like subtropical perennials. It's like it's lulling us into a false sense of security. That's right. But we're coming <laughs> off the we're coming off the back of two failed springs. So there's there's every chance that we'll get to September again, and mm. that finishing launch won't be there. Mm. Nothing to say the summer will be like last summer. And so, yeah, you sort of just having that bit of projection, that bit of, okay, well, you know, what are the chances of this? Yeah, and what are our options? What are our options? Where do we need to be? What If it doesn't rain, what will I do with these classes of stock? What needs me? You know, what's my core herd? Mm. What, you know, do we need to try and retain over everything else? What then goes? How often are you then checking your pasture? Uh, that- basically weekly, um, essentially, particularly post grazing so i'll essentially go out try try and get as close as i can to a week post grazing and see what that initial response is is like because that's obviously the most obvious response is that initial kick and then again you know another week later and just sort of see how much of that's maintaining so uh, sort of after that first month of response i'll tend to kind of i won't focus on it too much until we're getting back around to within say three weeks of it be grazed again and then i'll start to you know okay well right how's it looking now i'll sort of do a rough feed on offer calculation i do most of it visually i i, I should keep better records of this sort of thing but it can be a <laughs> you're little doing bit enough get the data yeah <laughs> how much more can so, you do <laughs> well yeah that depends who you ask yeah I'll, I'll do those those that feed on offer calc and obviously that allowing then there still should be a couple of weeks extra growth on that i'll do another one you know 
essentially a week out from grazing is when I'll do my final feeder and offer kelp. Right, what's it going? Because then I'll know enough to make sure that I'm planning not necessarily the paddock after that, but the paddock after that again. So that ties into calculating pasture growth rates yep. and monitoring how pastures are going? Yeah, it does, yeah. So I, I, I use a pretty basic system for measuring like feed on offer. I'll, I'll drive into the paddock, find a representative area, or I may take a couple if there's if it's really distinct. You know, we've got a better end and a poorer end. I'll do two, get a rough idea of what the breakdown of each is. Basically, take a couple of treadings, step out how much feed a LSU, so a dry cow or a 450 kilo steer would need for a day, how much feed would that need to eat for a day. The rough calculation is 3% body weight, so you work that back. Okay, I need sort of 12-ish kilos of, of grass, of dry matter off an area. We don't tend to, we tend to work on 60% of the, the feed that's there because we want to leave a bit behind. We don't want to take it down to the boards. So, and then map it out with a couple of treadings. And then pace it out. Let's say it's 50 metres by 50 metres. That's 2,500 square metres. It's a quarter of a hectare. All right, so if one animal's got a quarter of a hectare worth of feed, I've got four animals per hectare. I've got a 10 hectare paddock. I've got enough feed there for 40, 450 kilo animals for one day. And that's my feed on offer calculation. And so then I adjust that around. Okay, well, how many cattle, what's the mob size that I'm bringing into here? Right, it's 80 but they're only wieners. They're only half an LSU. So those 80 wieners have got one day's worth of feed in that paddock. Or oh, I've got 60, 450 kilos to use, or, or she's 80, 80, 450 kilos to use. They've only got half a day's feed in there. If I leave them in there for a full day, they're going to be chewing down into that reserve. You know, it won't necessarily harm them eating the reserve, but what it means is then next time I come back around to graze again, the plant's got that much extra to have to try and make back up, and that's yeah. probably another two to three weeks' worth of growing, and then I've got to find grazing elsewhere for it. It's quite a fine balance. It, it is. It is, but, uh, you know, to, uh, once you get your – I guess you get your eye in, and, and we always tend to probably go a little bit over for a start. Oh, yeah, no, cattle, you know, an animal eat that, and he needs that much, and then you get in there and find they need considerably more. <laughs> um, but yep. once you get your eye in, it, it, it's quite quick. I mean, it, to be honest, I've sort of done away with the, the tread-ins. Generally do it fairly visually by now, yeah. and, uh, yeah, and just you sort of keep it – piece of paper that you can find again later on is handy <laughs> um, sort of keep it in the head and, and, and work it out and just as a roughie and at least know then what's in front yeah so for someone that would want to get into measuring and taking more data recording yeah it's just that thing of you put in a few for a bit of time it's going to be tough and going yep. to take you more time but then you kind of get to that stage where everything yeah. gets a lot easier and oh, absolutely yeah. it does the, you know the grazing chart ground truths everything for you that's mm-hmm. that's the upshot so I want to hear you know the, the number of days are, are coloured in that a mob is in the paddock and I, I do use coloured pencils to keep track of the different mobs and different stock makes it look pretty yeah um, I was going to say it it's does, super yeah. aesthetic uh, <laughs> Um, it, it certainly does make it easy to at least then go, right, oh, where, where's that mob of wieners? Oh, they're there. They're, they're the tricolour. That's where the wieners are done. Where's the cows? They're in green. There they are. They're in that paddock. They've been in that paddock now for five days. Okay. So then behind that number, I mean, you can record as much or as little as you want in this. You can record you got the actual number of stock. You can record the stock days. I record stock days, total stock days, so they're not per hectare, but in total. So that that easy ground truthing. If I estimated that, okay, yeah, there were 400 stock days in that paddock, 40 by 10 hectares, 400 stock days, and I put the wieners in there. So those wieners should have been right in there for a day. You know, I record that against it for a day, but I go out there the next day and they've leveled the paddock off. 
they've taken the reserve out and I've got to tutor to the boards. Actually, I was inaccurate. There was probably only 20 stock days of feed in there. And so I've overgrazed that paddock by 20. So you'll still record that there was your 40 yearless, the 400 stock days taken out. However, you'll note that that was a heavy grazing because they've taken it off to the boards. Another question that ties in with the pasture workshop day that you guys hosted here last year, which was a great day. We got to see some of your improved paddocks firsthand on a bit of a tour. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you've done in those paddocks and your motivations? Yeah, absolutely. So our vision here is to develop a year-round green feed production system. It doesn't have to be grass, can be grazing shrubs, can be whatever the case may be, but green production system, I want to try and keep things growing all year round where possible. So for us, the subtropical perennials, I guess, kind of form the backbone of that. We're using uh, panics, road grass, a bit of cooch, a bit of kite. But they kind of, I guess, provide that backbone because summer and autumn are the really big feed void times in this, this area. And so they, I guess, provide a really great option on a permanent basis or you know, at least perennial 20-year basis of filling that void and there's other summer annuals that we can use as well your sorghums millets sedan grass that sort of thing so they're kind of our i guess our core and then quite an expensive process planting perennials it is relatively steady so we're now sort of focusing as well on our winter production moving up from annual ryegrass and capeweed to sowing to uh yeah we're putting in a blend of cereals like triticale barley oats grazing varieties where possible cerebellas clovers a bit of canola in there as a, as a brassica to keep things sort of mixed up still trying to land on exactly what's the best mix i think quite important to keep those varieties of species coming through because there's plenty of things we tried vetches last year which grew really well with the oats although they didn't persist all that well in our sand unfortunately so trying to get that mix right but that way there you know there's a good variety of feed on offer for stock they're not just being walked in and said you're eating this now for the next 10 days they can still undertake that more natural grazing habit of animals which is to find what they need are you doing different things in each paddock and what are you seeing that is performing the best or fits your system the best? Yeah, it's, we, this is our first year and I'm pretty excited for it of actually sowing some of these winter feeds into established perennials. You know, the perennials coming into the winter period here, they go into their winter dormancy. As it gets colder, they, they're not as active. I'm not using any knockdowns or anything. I'm just essentially graze to give them a hard graze, which helps sort of put them to sleep a bit and then go in over the top with the winter pastures. So like I said, first year trying it here this year in, in this this method and so really keen to see how that works and because i i really hope that moving forward that would sort of provide i guess the the main stay of this this pasture production system where every paddock can have its summer something covering it in the summer just you know it stops the sand eroding it keeps the soil active you know it's good for soil health keeps it covered makes it productive for livestock we were able year to year round, year round. Supplementary yeah like abs- absolutely all, all of those things but we're, we're still and I don't know whether we'll ever necessarily land on the perfect blend. We'll just keep trying different things until we until we find it. Last year we tried some vetches, worked better in some heavier country than in the sand. Cerradella, on the other hand, went hard in the sand. So, you know, there's a good option there. Whatever and works. Whatever works. Whatever works. Red legged <laughs> earth might smoked all the tillage radish we tried last year. We thought I'd try a cheaper option in canola. Turns out canola this year is not cheaper. But uh, that's all right. We'll, uh, we'll just keep trying. That brings us to the end of part one. Thanks to Murray for being so generous with his time and knowledge. We'll see you again next fortnight for part two.
The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do and we pride ourselves on ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. You'll save hours of your valuable time with easy access to the most relevant and up-to-date information you really need. A membership gets you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, exclusive access to our member-only publications like our technical newsletter, The West Midlands Group Quarterly. For more info, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members, without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.